So, it falls to me to continuing on on our progressive teachings of these 12 beautiful experiences to um, talk about samadhi, to talk about concentrating. It's a big topic and a very interesting topic. Lots to say. I like verbs more than nouns. Our minds, particularly our, it seems our Western minds with our Western languages, make nouns more important than verbs. And I really encourage us, as we practice more and more, to make verbs more important than nouns. When we relate to things as nouns, we have we like them or we don't like them. When they're verbs, we are them, we experience them. Not quite so likely to judge them. They're just part of experiencing, it's an activity. By objectifying things, we get into this love-hate relationship so easily. And just that alone is helpful in living, in awareness, in practicing you know, truthfulness. Anyway, generally... But uh, it also applies very much to this particular topic. We can describe 12 links, for instance, in this whole process. And so we can think of each link, link as something. And you know how you've been doing it. I want sukkah. I like sukkah. I don't like not having it, (laughs) etc. We turn it into this it thing to get. We seek it. Is this it? Lots of people today were saying to me, is this sukkah? <laughs> we want to box it in. Okay, so here's that poem again. The small man builds cages for everyone he knows, while the sage, who has to duck her head when the moon is low, keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful, rowdy prisoners. So that first line, the small man builds cages, could just as easily be the small mind puts labels on everything it sees. We box things into labels, and we usually box them with a second label of good, bad, you know, nice, not nice, right, wrong. We do this a lot around um, experiences in meditation. And we do this a lot around the whole topic of concentrating or not. So it's quite loaded. Is this concentrated? What is this? When I experience this, what does it mean? We want a label. We want to know. We want reassurance. We like to know where we are. But the further we do this practice, the more away from knowing do we go, the more into mystery does it become. It becomes peculiarer and peculiarer. That's from some... English childhood. (laughs) (laughs) But it does. It becomes weirder and less possible to say this is this and that is that. But we have the same tendency to want to know. As things become more mysterious, we often want to know more because we need a, a fair amount of trust and ease to be able to let go into the unknown. It's not our wiring. So I like to think of um, samadhi, this next link, as a verb called concentrating. 
So I want to talk about concentrating, how concentrating happens, the effects of it, the experiences of it, ways to facilitate it, the benefits, as well as some of the hang-ups. Concentrating. So another thing to share with you, it's very much affected me, I'm surprised. Um, I have been, don't get all stirred up and jealous now, I have been um, online, and I've been... (laughs) (laughs) And I've been looking at YouTube clips of um, a man who's a Danish man who is um, a horse trainer. And he trains horses in natural horsemanship. He's one of the most, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I've ridden some as a kid, you know. But he has, I'm loving this, I want to share it with you because it's so apt for this whole topic. He doesn't touch them, you know. He doesn't put anything on them, no bits, no no controlling in any overt way whatsoever. And not just that, he actually is going around all over the place, he's becoming world-renowned, and working with and, and helping unhappy, dangerous, freaked out, wild stallions, you know, who people can't handle, they don't know what to do with them. Because, and he describes this in all kinds of ways, and you know, there's lots of voices of what he's doing. He's one of the wisest people I've heard, and it's the same thing he's teaching, of course. Um, he knows how to relate to these horses in their terms. And he, but he has, well, and he has, mastery over there. Over there panicking. Over their fears. He trusts them to trust him, and they trust him. Right away, like right away. And he says things like, um, I'll have to read some of the things he says. And he, he, he would be the most amazing teacher for anybody to become free. He talks about presence. He says, first of all, I ha- there has to be complete personal presence. And this presence has to be without a sense of self. There has to be a complete restraining of any sense of self. There has to be complete trust in the friendliness of an exchange here. A complete utter living in the friendliness that I care for these animals, I care for this one, and I want this one to be happy and at peace. It turns out that horses, I mean, a lot of you may know this already, are unbelievably sensitive. Many animals are so sensitive. And they ride away. I've seen it over and over in the last couple of days. You know, raging animals, completely uncontrollable, scared. They're huge, they're dangerous, some of them. You know how they do, they kick and they buck and they run. They just see and sense and feel and know he's not trying to dominate them. He wants to be with them and to soothe them and reassure them. Some of the sweetest scenes of, of the, just the relaxing with him and allowing him and walking to him, allowing him to come to them and putting their head against the, his head, you know. But what I'm interested in is, is, and what it's brought up for me, is seeing how he's so wise and so kind and so receptive, and so solid. And it looks to me very like what I want to talk about, which is like us. It's like we have this solid, kind, 
wise, sensitive part of ourselves, the sage who has to duck her head. And we have this wild, passionate, energetic, sometimes dangerous animal part, this more primitive part in a way, who's also sensitive, who's also intelligent, but that can sometimes act right out, particularly, of course, in the horse versus human domain where we're trying to domesticate them and use them, whether or not, I don't know what they're like when they're in their natural environment with other horses, but in that relationship. So I think of the, the often, because I've been watching the unruly horse and this kind, wise guide relating to them, I think of how we learn to train our own minds, to train our own horses, how we learn mastery over our own minds, our own wild, sometimes upset, oftentimes hurt, oftentimes afraid, oftentimes unworthy, and all the things we all know that act like that, like the horse. And yet this steady, grounded, non-personal, spacious, patient, whole part of ourselves trains gently, patiently, over and over, the unruly part, and it surrenders, and it relaxes, and it becomes malleable, and wieldy, and available, trainable, helpful, can even serve that person and carry them wherever they want to go incredible to observe from complete you know rejection and confusion to complete docility happiness joy wanting to be trained wanting relationship and i just think of watching our minds do just that watching your minds as they do it well watch your minds do it you come and see us every few days and they're a little better behaved they're a little happier <laughs> they're a little kinder they're a little more trusting. They're a little more delighted in their own beauty. And horses, as we know, are such beautiful creatures. I'm sure all creatures are beautiful, but a lot of humans have had a lot of history with horses for a long time. They're so magnificent. When they're free to move as they want, and their necks arch, and they prance, and they're so graceful, it's like we all have this own beauty. We have such beauty beautiful, rowdy prisoners. But that part of ourselves is so oppressed by the struggling and the afraid and, and the belief that we can improve our situation. Anyway, I've been very affected by it. And also just the physicality of looking, because it's more visual for me than it has been sort of informational, because I haven't been listening to a lot of talk about it, but watching the grace with which this man moves his body. When he's training his animals, it's body language. And he's so grounded. And he's so at ease. And I think of how we all become the more calm we get and the wiser we get. We become so much more graceful. And we walk really in our bones. We walk really here rather than ahead of ourselves or missing things or dropping things or tripping over like, you know, when we're not so present. And he manifests a great degree of wisdom. It's really obvious to seeing how his body moves. So I've been really inspired. 
really enjoyed it. I'll give you the link at the end of the retreat. (laughs) And so he ends up by giving these creatures confidence in themselves. He actually ends up being their master, but with no oppression at all, and with no reluctance. They surrender because they trust his ability to say, this tarpaulin on the ground isn't in fact going to hurt you. Or this piece of water that you don't want to go near is quite safe. Given some encouragement, some patience, some reassurance, and not letting them bolt and go freaking out, they discover the truth of it. And they surrender. And it's the same with our minds. We think this is a problem, or we need more of that, or we've got to, we, we are ignorant in the way we relate to a lot of the things that happen to us. And we are training ourselves to, not, to see that that's not true that a tarpaulin on the ground isn't an enemy to a horse. But we have to discover that until he then is completely relaxed with walking on it, standing on it, where he normally just is immediately triggered. We can discover that being with, say, some pain we may have or some remorse, say, we may have, isn't an enemy, isn't a thing to have to bolt away from and blame ourselves for having and dance all around and skitter we can actually be with that too. We can discover the truth of it. It's, it's some regret that's happened. Okay, that's what it is. And we can be there too, gracefully, in a relaxed way. We can be confident about our capacity to be with the things we encounter. And initially we aren't like that. We're not confident. We're scared of this. We need more of that. This isn't going to be okay. We have to keep rearranging it so we can handle it, we think. We discover that's not true. We discover that all of life we can be with, we can ride through, flow through. It's possible. Not just just manage it, we can flow through it with grace. And it's about how we pay attention. And our attention to our experience is not about our experience. It's not about the circumstances. It's not about the people, how they behave, what happens. It's about how we relate to that. How do we meet that? How do we attend? It's a friendly attention. Not defended and ready to be threatened and have to hold up our end or... It's just an open, friendly, interested, respectful kind of gaze with which to meet the world. All of which we can do. It's not impossible. It's it's easy to do. And we do it when things aren't so challenging. So we know we have this capacity. You know, when your eyes are soft, when you meet some innocent child, you know. Or you see your puppy. I'm sorry, I shouldn't make you think of your puppy. (laughs) the reason we like puppies is our eyes relax and we relax they just bring up that feeling of ease and sweetness and we know we can do that because we do that we have that ability so when we have mastery to use a masculine kind of a word but there isn't a better generic or female kind of word for it, so I'll use that word, it's a lovely word. When we have mastery over any situation, there's that openness and that interest and that respect. 
and that anticipation of warmth rather than, you know, guardedness. There's a steadiness and yet there's an alertness. We know this. We're training in it, you're training in it to have such an attitude. Just a couple of other things to just to say about concentrating in general. You know, there were just fairly recently, some of you missed that too, if you've been here for weeks and weeks, there were the uh, Olympic Games. There and another amazing thing for a visual, to look at the, the effects of concentrating. The skill developed by every one of those people, because they're able to concentrate. The, the power of gathering our attention in a healthy whole way and directing it in whatever field it's profound, isn't it? It's it, you know, humans can do this. We can, we can develop skills, amazing skills. I mean, not the only ones who can do it. Lyre birds make unbelievable nests. That's pretty skillful. There are lots of amazing things that creatures can do, but we can develop hugely our potential, as we know. But it takes concentrating. To develop any kind of refining, it takes concentrating, as we know, and patience. I have a son, and when he was a kid, he was just sort of left home in first year in in, uh, university. He took karate for the first time, and uh, it didn't last. I thought it would, because I went to see him do one of his belt tests. Early stage, it was, I don't know, blue to green or sort of that level. It wasn't, the very earliest, it wasn't getting near brown or black yet, but anyway, it was reasonable. And I just watched him do this belt test. I was so impressed. Not because he was my son, but because he was completely tuned into every part of his body. Even his little fingers were completely included in his awareness. That kind of training. And to, to witness it, I was like... You really concentrated there. It's, it, and concentrated, when it manifests, it, it's a beautiful thing. Most things we do. So, concentrating, really what concentrating is, is that application of kind, interested, respectful, receptive attention. One hundred percent. Like the more concentrated we are, the more higher the percentage of it is, of that attention. And that's the key about it. It's a bringing together of focus and intention and whatever. Attention. Bringing it all, all, all together. And that's not the way we typically are. You know, we're just running around. A bit of us is doing this. We're thinking of this while we're talking on the phone, while we're stirring the soup. You know, we're a bit here and a bit there. We're sort of scattered and sketchy. Those times when we do things with huge intention are powerful. Back to karate, you know, that ability. He never got to this, my son, but when people can like break a brick and stuff like break boards, it's sort of mind-blowing. But it's simply the, the degree of attention that's all accumulated. We know this. Extremely powerful gathering together. So I like the word gathering and I like the word collecting of attention in practicing concentrating. 
unify, unification. I have a poem if I can find it. everything for love if you're a true human being if not leave this gathering half-heartedness doesn't reach into majesty you set out to find God but then you keep stopping for long periods at mean-spirited roadhouses (laughs) don't wait any longer dive in the ocean Leave and let the sea be you. Silent, absent, walking an empty road. All praise. Half-heartedness doesn't reach into majesty. Isn't that beautiful? That's what concentrating means. Giving completely. Really, it's a giving. I think of um, ropes. One strand of a rope by itself isn't usually that strong. And if there are 30 strands in a rope, that rope is not 30 times stronger. It's about 300 times stronger because of the unification of everything. When they all get cabled together, unbelievably strong. It's the unification effect. And I think of other things about concentration in our experience, the gathering together and that something moves, majesty comes. I think of, um, I used to dance also when I was a kid. I rode ponies until I started doing ballet and I used to then do ballet, the corps de ballet. All one, it's like one display. It's many bodies, but they're all unified together. Or um, what about symphony music? You know, each player seems like an individual and they're doing a great thing, but when they're all together, it's like not just the sum of their parts. There's a whole other majesty that arises. I think of that, the power of the concentrating of everybody, creating something way beyond their individual ones could possibly achieve. So this is kind of what we're doing with our bits in our minds, our bits and pieces of ourselves, all our little hopes and fears and plans and skills and memories and perceptions and ideas and ideals get all sort of kneaded together in this process you're in. For a long time I've had another analogy about concentrating and that's, you're getting all my history now, horse riding, ballet and hippie. Um, I have for a long time thought of uh, this as kneading bread. I used to make bread of course chop wood and make bread. And when you make bread and you make healthy bread, it's got many, many ingredients. And initially, there's just a whole bunch of messy sort of ingredients, often spilling around. Then you sort of stir them around and it's hard work and you mess with them for a while and then you start kneading them. 
And after some time, magic happens. I don't know who here has never done this, but it's worthy just to do it once for the fun of it. You get one thing. You get dough. It just changes from being multiple to one. It's all the same, but the effect of the kneading creates this now. You can do all kinds of things with it. You've got dough. You can you know, make it flat, break it into little bits. You can stretch it out, roll it, braid it, etc. Our minds can be kneaded into this one malleable, pliable, responsive whole. And one of the reasons why we have such a hard time in life is that a part of us may want this and the other part wants the opposite and it argues against itself and half of it doesn't know what the other half is doing and so on. It's all sort of confused and messy inside a lot. You know, in early days of practice, we see it's crazy in there. As we do more and more, it becomes more settled inside. It becomes more cohesive, more concentrated, more collected. We know that in our little common language. I like those little phrases that we say unconsciously. You know, when somebody will say to somebody else, get it together. <laughs> and uh, the, the language we use for whole, wholehearted or W-H-O-L-E, whole, um, is from the same root as heal and healthy. So when we become whole in our inner being, we become healthier, we heal from the fractured bits and the broken bits and the neglected bits and the rowdy prisoners which we didn't even know were there. Wholesome is the word in the, you know, Kusala, the the teachings of the Buddha, wholesome, healthy, unified, clear. Concentrating as an activity, it's um, a delicate thing. And many of you know, and I certainly knew very well, how to do it very hard, how to do it with great strength and grit. Keen, strivy type A personalities of the Western world. Anybody out there? (laughs) We can really work at this concentrating. We can really try hard to be really here, really stay with our intended object. I've, I've done it well, so like bearing down, bearing down, come on, come on, stay here, you know, can get really tight. It's a way, it's one way of doing it. It's not very skillful, it's exhausting, and it's thoroughly unpleasant, <laughs> relatively speaking anyway. Uh, it just, it, it's like tiring for one thing. But when we learn how to do this with more skill, and it's like many things we do, we learn something, we are keen, which is a good thing, you know, we try, which is a great thing, we're motivated, which is a great thing, but we usually overdo it. So almost everything we learn to do, we overdo it with too much tension. And as we get better at it, we get softer and lighter. It's, it's many things, you know, the handlebars of the child learning to ride the bike, the two-wheeler, you know holding their breath and gritting their teeth and white-knuckling it. But later on, it's easy-peasy. 
same with any skill, but really, really a lot with concentrating. And so um, skillful concentrating, as, we, as the skill grows, it gets to be a lighter and a lighter and a lighter staying. It gets to be increasingly resting, less and less working. And that's a process. This whole thing is a process, a continuum. So here's another little story. I told it to somebody here. I've mentioned it occasionally. I grew up, I'm a post-war baby boomer. And uh, so I grew up in the 50s and 60s in England. I left England at the end of the 60s. I caught the edge of the 60s. But in before that, there was an English race car driver called Sterling Moss. And he was quite well famous. And he was, you know, when he was a racetrack type driver. And uh, for a long time, he was the champion of the world for many years. Well, most people don't know, but he had a sister. And she was a race car driver too. But she didn't drive on a track. She drove rallies, rally driving. And she was very good. She had a, you know, she was a winner a lot of the time too. But her driving was um, road driving, rally driving from A to B, which she would win often. But it had an extra qualification. The rallies that she won were rallies, uh, the first person to get from A to B having used the least amount of petrol. She said she did it in stocking feet. She had such a light touch on the pedal that she used just enough effort to get her there as fast as efficiently possible and beat everyone and as efficiently as it's doable, totally sustainably. I love that analogy. I like driving, for one thing, and those roads I know. I grew up on those roads. So whizzing around lightly, it's sort of fun. But that becomes sort of the flavor of, of playing with and gathering the mind. It's a flexible, light touch. And it's delicate, and it's pleasurable, and it's not tiring at all. And so you can be concentrating, aware that you're concentrating hours and hours and hours, days and days, and not get tired at all. You get tired because it's the end of the day and it's time to go to bed. You've been awake for hours, but not because you've been exerting undue effort. Light touch. And another aspect of practicing concentrating that I've touched on already here is this sense of, as we make it lighter and easier, increasingly, it isn't just light, increasingly there's rest in it. The whole system doesn't just go easy and light. The whole system goes more and more and more still, more and more and more rest, less and less and less to do anything other, more and more surrender. So concentrating becomes a sort of sinking feeling. And everyone's experience and what words you use is you're going to be different, but one of the things it feels like to me is going from bobbing around on the surface and feeling the waves and, oh, this is happening and knowing what's going on and sort of stirred up to submerging and getting lower and lower, deep, deep, deep in the sea until there's no waves, no disturbance. You don't know where you are exactly. But it's peaceful and quiet and slow and soft and floaty as the mind becomes more concentrated.
one way of describing it. Or the man, the horseman, Carl. When he, I saw him riding the horse, he was like in the horse. He wasn't separate. He was in. He was in his body, in the gait of the horse. There's a settling. Most of you know this to degree. So the point I think that we need to always remember, so that we don't get caught by that small man who builds cages for everyone, and the small mind that builds labels and boxes and needs to know where everything is, is that this whole path we tread from confusion and meing and dukkha-ing and worrying and judging and all, busy, to freedom, is a continuum. It's That's why we use the word journeying, even though you're not going anywhere. We're becoming more and more at ease. We're sinking and settling more, but it's changing, transforming, and it's a continuum. I'll just say some of these things, which we all know, but it's I think it's important to bear in mind. From hot to cool. From busy to quiet. From up, like speed up and uptight, to down, like calm down, (laughs) settle down. From tight, narrow, boundaried, separate, to vast, wide, open, expanded. From stressed to freedom of stress, easy, relaxed. From anxious to confident, trusting. From doubt to faith and trust. From hard to soft, and many other words besides. You know these words. A continuum, meaning one isn't good, one isn't bad. You can't, there isn't a getting anywhere. It's an increasing, gradual softening, which goes up and down, as we know, and up and down, and a little bit more soft, and then a little less, and then oh, more, and then a little less. Any one of these things. They're in a sort of uneven, but definitely a continuum. And concentrating is in here, in this continuum. So it isn't like, oh, am I concentrated, am I not concentrated? Is this the first level or not the first level? Sort of like steps or jerky. It's a flowy thing. And how we do it, when we're practicing concentrating these minds, as with the whole journey, we start off by wanting to get somewhere, something. But we discover the more we go, the more this works, the more we're immersed in this transformation. It's a letting go rather than a getting. And so absolutely in concentrating, as a practice in concentrating, more and more does the system let go of distraction, of disturbance, of agitation, of worrying, of judging, of thinking, planning, hoping, busyness, hot, tight, all those things on that list. 
It's a letting go of those things. Rather than getting calm, getting sukha, getting jhana, getting somewhere, if we let go of the, the limits, if we release that behavior, what's left is the other. It's not a getting the other, it's a stopping the what stops the other. So it's a releasing kind of practice rather than a gaining kind of practice. But to release what we've always believed in, planning, worrying, judging, fixing, whining, hoping, imagining, etc. To let go of those ways which have been our ways and are effective to quite a considerable degree, but just not totally real happiness, just temporary poor man's happiness, cheap thrills. To be able to let go of that, we need something superior. Something that we would rather have or know or be. This is why this whole transcendent conditioned experiencing that we're talking about is effective in this. Because it is superior in experience than planning, hoping, dreaming, let alone fixing, worrying, blaming, whining. We know that's not so nice. When the system is increasingly nourished by wholesome states, we can let go of our neurosis. In fact, it's not even we let go. Our system won't bother with trying to look good if it feels really content, for instance it feels really satisfied, it's not going to plan for a better moment because this moment's so satisfying. Why do I need another moment? We become filled by the wholesomeness that grows in us. And it's that nourishment that in fact does the letting go, allows the letting go, allows us to switch from wanting, needing, fixing behaviors to trusting, allowing, resting, softening, grounding. However, this calming that comes upon us as we practice and as we're encouraged to practice and training ourselves to relax into staying, settling, stilling, calming the mind is essential. is isn't just, it's a nice part of the thing and it feels nice, which it does. As without that inner peacefulness, quiet, contentment, we cannot see the subtleties of what's keeping us struggling, keeping us bound up in those habits. The habits themselves that we do, the old habits, cannot be seen when there's interference. The clearer and quieter we can become inside ourselves, the more we can see of where we're causing ourselves distress. It's absolutely essential for freedom to have a clear, calm, quiet, kind of attention, a pure attention. And it builds on itself. We see the 
big obvious problems with a clumsy mind, you know, br- briefly for a while. Then we react, oh my God, I'm so crazy, I'm so... Little by little we get more elegant at it, we see more subtly, we react less. It's easier to choose not to be so, whatever, some dramatic, problematic way. Our behavior modifies, becomes more refined. The whole process is, you know, it's sort of self-perpetuating and self-growing. But just as in science, if you have some equipment that's trying to measure something, it doesn't have a very good measurement if it's constantly moving around. You know, it's like trying to read, you know what it's like, you're trying to look at something with binoculars and you're all excited and it's a little bird sitting still on a rock and you're like wobbling and you can't see it really. So you put it on a tripod and it's like, oh, you can really see. The mind's the same way, we need to still it, settle it, so it can really, really see into its behaviors, its, sorry, the way it's, it's, creating a reality and then convincing us that that's the way it is and causing us all our anxiety. So we practice this concentrating and we turn our attention inside ourselves. That's the thing about it. We less and less are interested in what's going on outside. When we're developing concentration, we're practicing this, it's we withdraw our, our sense doors and we become really very inner. Inside, we can feel inside our whole body. It gets weird in there, as lots of you know. One of the early signs that you're becoming really concentrated is that you kind of lose touch with what's out there and you kind of think, am I, am I all twisted sitting here? That's what I have. I got a feeling that I'm all kind of... <laughs> because we're, we're withdrawn from our usual feedback mechanism. It's not there. Some people can feel they're really floating or you, you feel really big sometimes or just weird. You just feel, It's different for everybody. There's lots of different sensations, but that's partly what's <laughs> happening. Your attention isn't outward anymore. It's withdrawing itself. To be able to release the busy, scheming, wanting, we must have a sense of well-being. We must. It doesn't work. It's very hard to do without. Once there's that sense of well-being, we relax. The mind easily comes inside. doesn't want to care about what's going on out there. I told you my two cobweb-type stories. Dramatic effect. Such well-being from the beautiful golden field, such peace inside, such natural steadying of the mind. They completely belong together. So as we get concentrated, it feels good. We like it. There are, there are purposes to concentrating, to see clearly. Um, the, to, when we're steady, we see without distortion. We see much more clearly. We need the steadiness, of course. But we also want to be able to see things like, um, we, want to be a, we want to be able to, and we can. We can see 
are inner processes arising and passing away. We can see a thought coming, and we can see it going. No way you can see that when the mind isn't steady. You can see a feeling coming and going. You can see a feeling and creating a thought, a mother giving birth to a child, whatever, if it's a planning kind of mind, a worried mind, and out comes a plan. You can see the arising and passing away, the, the creating and dissolving going on inside your own mind. There has to be this ability to stay steadily, ongoingly. mind that is more and more able to be concentrated is resting, stably present. And it's this ongoing steadying that reveals not just stuff happening inside, but the patterns, the processing. And not just the processing, this happens, then this happens, and then this happens, but we can see um, how this turns to this, turns to this. We see thoughts, feelings, sensations, ideas, reactions coming and going. We see how this one affects the next one, turns into the next one. We start to understand the process. We don't just see the process. Understanding the process we understand that this process is happening because of all these factors. This process, whatever the process is that I'm in, I'm having a memory and it's exciting me and I'm looking forward to something or other and then I'm realizing that probably won't happen that way anyway and it subsides and goes away, leaving me with a sense of pleasure and reality check, peaceful, let's say there's a little process I just described. We can see how that began with a certain sight or a certain word or we can see that we aren't doing it. We aren't making ourselves up. We are making ourselves up. But it we didn't just say I'm gonna make myself up. We did it because impulses happened, memories happened, ideas happened, associations happened. The whole dramatizing of me and my life and my story is a conditioned thing. When we get quiet, when the mind is able to be more and more concentrated, i.e. more unified, stable, resting, the whole show is revealed. And also then, even further, I mean, it just goes further, the quieter the mind, the more we can see this, that wanting it to be some other way is ridiculous. We see, you know, something comes and goes, a desire for something comes and goes. The thing is just so far sort of down on the scale of what we've seen, it may be a thing. And we see that the, a, a process around this becoming something else. We see my res- relationship, my response being a whole unfolding process. We see what caused it, what it turned into, the effects that it had on me, on anyone else. We see the beginning, the birth, the whole show. Wanting that thing is, is completely ludicrous when we understand that whole process, we start seeing right through this whole complex. And we we just, what happens is, it's just ludicrous. (laughs) It's just like, shopping doesn't do it. (laughs) It just doesn't work. Another big function that happens through 
concentrating through all these beautiful states and is lovely to concentrating is the pleasure of the peace of being calm is so delicious. It shows us completely that that's what we were looking for by shopping. We thought that when we got the thing, we'd feel like that. And we may feel like that, but it's so short-lived and so unreliable because this thing gets spoiled or lost or doesn't fit or whatever. That even though we know what we're wanting, we're looking in the wrong places and we see that. We see that already this is what we've been looking for all along. This sense of ease and peace. And we can have it without having to even begin to want to go shopping. We don't even care anymore about that. We become, um, well, I shouldn't say too many more things about this whole area because this is what more of us will be talking about over the next few days anyway. Understanding this whole process of how we, uh, our small, schemy mind is trying to make us happy and we see that it can't possibly, we can, we can just relax that whole thing and then we find the happiness we were always seeking. It serves to relax us even more. Serves then to allow us even more quietude. And it's this continuum that then the quietude itself is so delicious that we want a quieter version of it. And this quieting down and simplifying and emptying out of the busy becomes increasingly attractive. And our, now our orientation goes towards freedom instead of towards any of the actions and the doings and the wantings that we previously wanted. It's like our orientation starts to shift. And then increasingly what attracts us, where, where we find ourselves drawn, is less and less and less of anything. And then the momentum of complete releasing of anything becomes stronger. And it happens. It ha- we don't do that. We, we stop the me doing, because that's what's in the way of the momentum taking us. N- but none of that can be understood and really apprehended with a mind that's agitated. So the concentrating is the stilling, settling, not doing thinking, planning, which we think no one's watching. I look like I'm concentrating, but I'll sit here and fantasize. <laughs> or maybe I'll just think, I'll let myself just think, I'll give myself a thinking break. I'll you know, have a little scheme going on here. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm walking really slowly. You know. <laughs> but truly, it's, it's sort of a bargaining going on. It's the horse still bargaining with that horseman, you know. When it gives up all bargaining and trusts completely, this is the way, this way of, of calming, quietening, gathering together. Gently through enjoyment, through well-being, resting in well-being, that's when the shift, it's a, it's a shift from what we believe really and what we want really can, can take over. It's, it's fun. The more we get concentrated initially, there's the qualities of, of joy, happy, wow. Some very different, a whole range of experiences people have. But eventually, more commonly, is that, is that well-being, sukha, 
sweet. Sukha isn't always delicious. I know it sounds like sugar. Sucre is the French word. Um, it, it's, I just want to say this about sukha, that state. All these things are continuums in themselves, but there's a sweetness, even when we're in the midst of difficulty, if we're not upset, if we can be okay in the midst of even horrible situations, there's some sweetness to the okayness. Just be able to stay grounded when other people are losing it. It's such a, it's a relief. That's sukha. It can be really deliciously very sweet, rich, rich, wow, you know, the wow factor, the Hollywood exaggerated factor, I think, of that, the American version. <laughs> but it can also have a really very subtle, just softness, you know, just okay. So being able to being able to finally say something that's been difficult to somebody and deal with something, it's such a relief. That's sukha too, that kind of like ease. So there's a whole lots of range of it. Don't expect, don't go looking for certain things. You know, even if other people have described certain experiences, be with your own experience. Know there's a whole range of it, but this is definitely the territory that we're in, in this retreat, that we can all feel. And then, um, as concentration builds, even the sweetness subsides, even that softness subsides, and just even there's less of anything. It just becomes very, very cool, very, very quiet, very still, and it becomes less and less anything that there are words for. The mind can become, as we all know, extremely concentrated. And some of you have practiced deep, deep, deep concentration states deep concentration states. It gets so beyond any kind of words. Words belong to the mind and the mind isn't functioning in the deep states in the way of thinking and saying words. No thingness, one of the translations for one of the deep states of some jhana because there's no way of describing some of the depth and quiet that can happen. But to say It's a very wholesome experience when the mind becomes extremely deeply quiet. It's a very um, unbelievably restful, unbelievably like, super content, nothing else is nothing I would like, nothing touches this depth of quiet, beautiful, nourishing to have, be able to so rest so deeply for such long, long hours at a time. Cheap thrill holidays in you know on the beach just don't come anywhere close you know. But um, people have different experiences of this. Some people um, can easily spend long hours in deep silent jhanic states, and some people not at all. Some people it's just very different for different people. So what's not useful in this whole topic is sort of setting out a standard or setting out a a description because it's so individual. The continuum of all of this, just know it goes from hot, busy, tight, active to cool, calm, peaceful, less and less knowable, less and less activation, quieter, freer, nothing. 
in its own time, in its own way, and in each one of us differently. Different times, different regularity, different rhythms. So the deeper forms of this kind of stability, of course, as we know, is jhana practice. And, you know, when somebody experiences, you know, this is the fifth fifth jhana I've experienced, someone else doesn't even think they're in, you know, even concentrated. So subjective. There's no point trying to compare, trying to put labels on this. Give your heart to calming, to feeling grateful, peaceful, easy. And the system starts to do it for you where activity and the, the, the little mind that's the judging mind is clearly causing stress. And that's not where we go with this. We let go of all our neurosis because we have found a better alternative. I think that's enough. I'm going to read you a little tiny quote, though, because part of the territory of this, all of this, not just the concentrating part, but all of it, um, is we see more and more clearly as the mind gets quiet. And as we see more clearly, that can be quite discouraging. As light increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We are amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our heart a whole swarm of shameful thoughts and feelings. We never could have believed that we'd harbored such things. We stand aghast as we watch them appear. But we must neither be amazed nor disheartened. We are not worse than we were. On the contrary, we are better. But while our faults diminish, the light by which we see them waxes brighter. And we are filled with horror. Bear in mind, for your comfort, that when we only perceive, we only perceive our malady when the cure begins. This was written by Francois Fenelon in 1651 in France. I don't even know if he was a Buddhist. <coughs> So be comforted as you become more and more quiet. And whatever you see in there, what he doesn't say is, don't take it personally. It isn't personal, it's just minds. Neuroses. That's all I have to say about this topic tonight. Let's sit quietly for a moment. Gamble everything for love. If you're a true human being, if not, leave this gathering. Half-heartedness does not reach into majesty. You set out to find God, but then you keep stopping for long periods at mean-spirited roadhouses. Don't wait any longer. Dive in the ocean. Leave and let the sea be you. Silent, absent, walking an empty road, all praise.
Thank you. I hope it's helpful a little bit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.